James chapter 5, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. With the word sick here, again, James remains very general in his language, but if we're making a distinction, sickness may get us closer to the circumstances causing the suffering in verse 13. Suffering may have a little bit more to do with the effect, the, the overwhelming sense of pain. When we're in that time of sickness, uh, emotional pain, spiritual pain, that type of thing, where sickness is, is anyone among you sick? Is anyone facing an illness or a difficulty that is making them weak and ultimately looks like it is leading to death. That idea of sickness, something that we can't overcome on our own. If anyone is in that situation, what should you do? Let him call for the elders of the church. Elders can be a general word just for older believers, older people in the church, but oftentimes in Scripture, elders refers to the leaders of the local church. In your New Testament, the word elder, the word pastor, and the word bishop or overseer, those three words seem to be used together synonymously to refer to the same role. And so let him call for the elders, let him call for the leaders or the pastors of the church, and let them come and pray for him. How? Let them pray over him. Sometimes that has the idea of laying hands on or just praying directly for that person, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. What's going on here with this idea of anointing with oil? Oil in the ancient world could have different references, different ideas. Sometimes, sometimes it could have a medicinal idea. Now, it doesn't seem to have that idea here. It, I don't think that James is writing to the elders of the church saying, should I use peppermint because they have a tummy ache, or should I use lavender because they're not, you know, it, it's not that. It's not picking your particular oil for this situation, though there is a place for that, but sorry if you're an oil person like my family, and I just made fun of that, but uh, lavender puts me to sleep every time, let me just say it, but uh, the oils here, the oils here seem to be more of an anointing idea in the sense that, here's the concept, as the elders pray over the person who is sick, they are setting that person apart to the care of the Lord. It, it's much more an idea of setting apart, directing, saying, Lord, put your favor and your blessing upon this person who is sick and hurting. And so it is a way of directing that prayer, setting that person apart to the Lord. Specifically, the end of that phrase, the end of that verse, in the name of the Lord. This has nothing to do with the power of the elder in particular, this has nothing to do with the power of the oil in particular. This is the power of the Lord being expressed through the prayers of those leaders and being expressed through this anointing of oil of setting that person apart. Now, why elders? Why call the elders here? Look in verse 15. I think we probably get the answer there. Verse 15, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. When it says the prayer of faith there, it's not the faith of the person who is sick that's being referred to. It's actually the faith of the elder that is being referred to. So the prayer of faith, the prayer given in faith by the church leader at this point is supposed to be expressed for the person who is sick. Here is the image 
for what's going on. In the Gospels, Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 2, you've got the story of someone who is paralyzed and, and lying on a mat, and his friends pick up the mat and carry the man to Jesus. And when Jesus pronounces healing on the paralyzed man on the mat, you know whose faith he refers to? Not the man lying on the mat. He refers to the faith of the friends, the ones who had faith to carry that person to Jesus. Sometimes when you are sick and when you are hurting and when you are facing circumstances that have completely dominated your life, you don't even feel like you have the faith to pray at that moment. But through the gift of the church, God has provided people who could come alongside and pray for you and pray in faith for you with a faith that maybe you don't even have at that time. And so the elders come and they pray, and then let's just admit it, we get some pretty tough language here. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Does this mean that every time the leaders of the church come and pray for someone who is sick, that that person will automatically be healed? No, it does not. Because when we look across the pages of the New Testament, we see this interrelationship between the gospel and healing leading to ultimate healing. And so when those elders come and pray, they are to pray for healing, physical healing, but not just so our body will be healed, but so that we will be able to give glory to God and put faith in him. Remember that opening phrase up there, the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith. When the elders come and you are sick, and you are hurting, they are supposed to have the maturity, the spiritual maturity, to help you think about your sickness and think about faith in Christ in a way that is spiritually mature, that maybe in that moment you don't feel like you have yourself. And then you get the phrase at the bottom, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Not every sickness is tied to a particular sin. And that's a dangerous way to think, and a, and a healthy way to think. Now, we experience sickness because we live in a world inflicted by sin. We, we, we acknowledge that. We realize that. But to go up to a sick person and say, you are sick because you committed X sin, that is to play the part of God in a way that is so spiritually abusive and, and unhealthy. And Elders are supposed to come into the situation and not do that and be able to apply the gospel and apply the power of faith to that person's situation. Now, hear me through on this. Sometimes, through a sickness, sins or difficulty might be revealed in our life. Sometimes God uses a sickness, uses circumstances to get our attention, and there are sins that need to be dealt with. But you're able to get to that point through the prayer of faith of these elders who have come and prayed and spoken about the gospel and the power of faith and the power of Christ in that situation. So, how do we act on this? What does it look like to pray for the sick? What do we do if we are sick? I've got a slide to follow that up. Number one, call for the elders and the pastors to pray for you if you are sick. Here's my email address. Because this is going on Facebook Live, I'm not going to give you my phone number from the stage, but I'd be more than happy to give you my phone number if you, uh, if you email me. Call for the elders and the pastors to pray. Study scripture. If you are struggling with the idea of how does sickness relate to sin, gospel, healing, you're struggling with the idea of the faith healing, 
we've provided a document here at Emmaus to help you work through the theology of that question. I have copies of that document, only about 20, on the table as you're exiting here. If you'll email me, I'll send you that document. If this is something you want to think through, you want to study, what's the relationship between sickness and healing? How does this whole idea of faith healing work? We've tried to put something together for you. And now, right now, we want to pray for those who are sick and weak. Would you bow your heads with me? First off, right where you are, first off, if you know someone who is sick, would you right now, where you are, pray for that person? Pray for that person who you know is sick, you know is hurting, they have circumstances that have overwhelmed their life. We could almost say that the circumstances have paralyzed their life. Would you pray for that person right now? Pray for that person's healing. Pray that that person would trust in the Lord. Maybe for the first time, maybe they would be drawn back to the Lord. Pray that salvation, healing, miraculous healing would happen for the glory of God. Pray that your friend would not give up in the circumstances that they're facing. Maybe you look at their life and it looks like they're ready to give up. Pray that they would sense God's power through the gift of the church, through the gift of prayer. God, I pray for people in this room right now who are sick. God, I pray that you would bring healing. God, that you would restore them. That your grace would be shown sufficient in our times of weakness. God, that we would not run from you, but we would turn to you. God, I pray even that you would use sickness to expose those areas where maybe we have been living in sin or maybe we have been trying to rely on ourselves and we have not called out to you. And God, right now I ask for your forgiveness for the times when the pastors and the elders of the church have not prayed for the sick in the way that we should. God, I stand guilty in that regard. God, we live in a world where it's so easy to want to function as some sort of remote leader or CEO figure. But God, you have placed pastors and elders in a church to provide spiritual oversight and care. And God, I ask for your forgiveness where that has not happened, where I have not done that. God, let us be a church that prays. Let's be a church that prays in faith and prays in faith according to your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Okay, why would James bring up the idea of forgiveness? We'll look there in the middle of verse, or actually in the beginning of verse 16. So the end of 15 ends, he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 16, what do you get there? Therefore, 
confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. A couple of things to point out from this verse here, verse 16. Confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. Here's the first thing to point out. We emphasized in that previous verse the pastors and elders praying. But this verse is very quick to mention that it's not just the leaders praying, but it's praying with one another. There's value in having godly leadership in a church, but the church is not dictated by those godly leaders. We come together as a congregation, praying with and for one another. So what do you do? You confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why? Because you care for those who are hurting physically and spiritually. You see people around you in the church, and you look at their life, and you say, I know that they're hurting. I know they're sick. I know their circumstances are not good. I know they're fighting sin and temptation, and I love that person. I care for that person. And so as a church, we are going to pray for one another, and we are going to confess our sins to one another that we may be healed. Again, physical healing, but I think we also have to think holistically there, relational healing that happens when we pray for one another. This is kind of a cheesy church comment, but it works. It is super hard to be bitter and angry with someone that you are praying with and praying for. The relational healing that can happen through prayer, through confessing, hey, I was wrong here, and I ask your forgiveness Sin can't live in that environment. That's where, that's where God's word shows up in power. All of this type of healing that can happen in those, in those situations when we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. Confession and prayer bring freedom because we stop hiding from God and we stop hiding from others. I don't want someone else to know that I'm weak and sick and sinful. Guess what? We already know that you're weak and sick and sinful because we know that about ourselves, okay? I know my own heart. I know my own life. I know my own struggles and circumstances. So we don't have to hide that from one another. Now, there's appropriate discernment for sure, but we don't have to live in hiding as followers of Jesus. Prayer and confession brings that out into the open where healing can begin to take place. And now's the point where you begin to panic because you're like, he is going to make us confess our sins to one another. <laughs> Who am I sitting by at this point that I'm about to confess my sins to I am going to implore you to do that, but not out loud and not at this moment, okay? Let's look at the next screen here for just a second. How do I act on this? What do I do with this? I wanted us to do that, but I knew my own heart that I was probably not in a position to do that, and so we need to move in that direction, and here's how we're going to do that. First, begin with private individual confession. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What do I need to confess to the Lord? And what do I need to confess to someone else? Who do I need to text or call today or maybe go immediately to at the end of the service or leave this place and go to 
because I know I need to confess sin to them. I know I need to ask for their forgiveness. I know there needs to be relational healing. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we come before you right now. And God, we know that we are prone to try to hide from others. Sometimes church even seems to promote that. We need to come and look a certain way or keep up a certain image because we don't want people to think that we're hurting or we're struggling spiritually. God, let this be a place where we can pray for one another, confess our sins to one another, and experience healing, deep spiritual relational healing. May us right where you are, would you confess your sins to the Lord. Lord, we confess our words that are spoken in anger, our words of gossip and negativity, our words of slander. God, we confess our sexual sins of lust and pornography, relationships not honoring to you. God, we confess our poor stewardship of our time and our resources that we live for ourselves and not for you. God, we confess our jealousy and resentment that we have, that bitterness that eats us up from the inside out. God, we confess that we ask for freedom and healing, God. Father, we want to experience the hope of the gospel, the power of the gospel. So we confess our sins to you, asking for your forgiveness, Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Emmaus, would you stand with me right now? We are going to read responsively from Psalm chapter 32 about the confession of sin. So I'm going to read a screen. You're going to read a screen. I'll read a screen, you read a screen. We'll go back and forth. Expressing, confessing together, corporately, confessing together our need for the Lord. And then after we do that, we're going to sing a song about gospel assurance, gospel power, because we don't confess just to get something off our chest. We confess because we believe in the power of the gospel. And we don't want you to leave here saying, oh, I'm a terrible person. We want you to leave here saying, he is a great God and a great Savior. So we're going to read this together. I'll do the first screen, you follow. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the person against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Let everyone who is godly, offer prayer to God at a time when he may be found. Surely in the day of judgment it will be too late. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all you upright in heart. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
Let's sing about the power of the cross and the resurrection. Same power. 
All right, you can be seated. Sound great, by the way. Middle of 16. The middle of 16 there says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Why has James been speaking about forgiveness? Why has James been speaking about confession? Because prayer is directly related to holiness. We should never think that we can live however we want and then think we're going to be able to turn to the Lord in in prayer. Husbands, take note of and be appropriately afraid of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, which says that if we do not live with our wives in an understanding, gentle, honoring way, that will hinder our prayers. The way we treat one another, the way we treat those around us, directly impacts our prayer life. Prayer is meant to be effective, but is related to our characters, related to our trust in the Lord that's shown in the life that we live, our faith and our obedience. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gained rain, and the earth bore its fruit. When James uses the illustration of Elijah here, we might think that he's going to speak of Elijah as a great prophet, but he doesn't. He says specifically that Elijah, in the illustration, was just a human being. He was a human like us. Remember this when it comes to prayer. Prayer is not related to how elegant, eloquent, well, thank God it's not related to how eloquently you speak. (laughs) That was not a one-purpose illustration. That was just a horrible, divinely timed mess up. So uh, it's not related to how well you speak. It's not related to how talented you are. It's not related to what you bring to the table in terms of finances. God doesn't hear you because you have more money. In fact, oftentimes it will be the opposite because you find yourself so desperate for the Lord. So it's who we are as a creation of God, and it's that he prayed earnestly. How do I become great at praying? I have faith in a great God. I seek to live a holy life. I live as one of his creations, and I keep at it. I keep going, I keep going, I keep going. I pray earnestly, fervently, without giving up. So what does this say to us, Emmaus? This is very simply a call from the Lord to be a people of prayer. I'm calling us. And by calling us, I'm I'm wanting you to know what the Lord's doing in my life personally and individually. That we are being called to pray. I'll confess to you, sometimes I've been guilty. Hear me out on this. It sounds terrible to say, but I know that somebody out there has probably thought it as well. I don't want to pray because I don't really feel like I'm doing anything. It's not doing anything. If I was being productive, those of us that are type A and want to produce and want to go through our task list, prayer can be really hard because it feels like, hear me out, almost like we're wasting time. I could be doing something else. I could be productive on something else. And we have to be reminded that it is never a waste of time. That it is, in fact, the work that we've been called to do. 
that we've been called to do individually and we've been called to do as a church. So let's respond as Emmaus. Let's respond as a church to the call to pray, to pray individually. Say, God, I give myself to that. I know I'm weak, but I give myself to that. That you would pray in your home, that your home would be a place of prayer. Dads, husbands, you may think, I sound so awkward when I pray out loud. It feels weird to get my family together and pray. Can I urge you to do that? You may not necessarily be the one doing the praying, but you just say, we're going to get together one time a week. We're going to get together in our home, and we're just going to pray. And it might last three minutes, but this matters. We're going to do this as a family. And then we're going to do this as a church. We're going to come together and pray as a church. One easy way that you can connect with this is through the Emmaus, Emmaus Prayer Room Ministry. We have people that sign up for one-hour blocks during the week to pray for our church. There's a table out in the lobby where you can get information. You can write your name down and say, hey, I'd love to be a part of that. Even if you don't do that, just develop prayer gatherings where you are. Develop prayer gatherings with your Sunday school class, with your small group, with friends, at your workplace. Let's be a people who pray. Why is that so important? Well, look in verse 19 at something kind of surprising that shows up. James's letter ends in a little bit of a surprising way. So there's this call to prayer for all of us. Then he says at the end in verse 19, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now those verses are difficult to, well, they're difficult to translate, they're difficult to interpret, there's a lot of debate about, about what they mean, but the core idea is this. The verses leading up to this have been about prayer because I care for people. I care for them physically, and I care for them spiritually, so we pray for them. But we don't just pray for people who are hurting physically and spiritually. If we see them going in a way that is dangerous, we go after them. You've heard that idea of putting feet to your prayer? This is exactly what's happening at the end of James's letter. A call to prayer as the foundation for our lives and our church. And then James says, if you see someone who is strained from the truth, go and bring that person back. Hear me out on this. This is so cool the way this works at the end of James's letter. His letter has been about, don't just hear the word, but go do it. Now it's pray and go do for others what you are seeking to do, what God's leading you to do. Prayer drives us toward revival and mission. When we pray, when we pray, it does not make us passive, Emmaus. When we pray, it makes us most active in our faith. That we are driven to see people come back to the Lord. That we are driven to share him with others. And so the next slide is this call to revival and to missions. We have an actual revival coming up in September. Revival meetings, four nights in a row, Sunday night through Wednesday night. We didn't go old school two-week revival. We just went four nights. Um, but this idea that we would gather together and worship, that the Lord would call people to repentance and salvation, we have that coming up. But let me ask you specifically, who's your one that you're praying for and the Lord would send you to care for? 
and to speak to? Who do you know in your life that they are not a follower of Jesus, but you are praying for them earnestly, and you are speaking to them about the gospel? Who do you know in your life who is a Christian, but they are wandering from the Lord? They are going away from the faith. They are barely holding on, and God says, go and speak to them in love. Pray for them. Don't give up on them. Call them back to a relationship with the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we are praying right now about revival and missions and salvations happening through our church. God, I pray for every person right now that they would have someone in mind that they are praying for their salvation, someone they know who is not a follower of Jesus, who needs salvation, who needs hope. God, send us to share the good news with people. We know prayer is the foundation of that. We're not going to try to convince them to be part of our religious group. We're not going to sell them anything. We're going because we love them and we prayed for them and we believe that there's hope in Christ. And God, I pray especially right now as I think about our church and where we live, God, I pray that our hearts would be drawn to people who might be wandering from faith. There might be people in this room who are ready to give up and check out of this idea of trusting in you and being a follower of Jesus. God, would they know that you love them, that we care for them, that we are for them and not against them. God, use us to draw people back to you, to draw people back to the gift of the church, to the power of the gospel. We know that prayer is such a big part of that. So Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 